Good morning. So we're in this sermon uh, series called uh, From the Ashes, Embracing the Full Life of God. Uh, I think we could all agree that we would love to embrace that life that God has for us. And, but it means that we've got to live a little bit different than we've probably been living. Uh, so uh, we need to find our identity like we've spoken in week one from God and God alone, that Jesus gives us our identity, and we are, we are children of God. And Jesus, that makes Jesus our brother, which is pretty awesome, in my opinion. And that we're probably all a little broken, and I'm not going to be able to repair you, or nobody else in this world's going to be able to repair you, but God can repair you. God can fix you, because He made you. He made you. So the big idea today, just in case you wanted to take a nap, uh, because I bore you, uh, Jesus demonstrated humility by coming to earth from heaven and then washing, at the end of time, he washed his disciples' feet. So when we choose to exercise humility, we look most like Christ. When? When we look. Most like Christ to the world around us when we act like Christ, when we serve others. That is the big idea. So if you fall asleep now or leave, it'll be okay because you know the big idea. It's about serving other people. Okay? That's where it starts. It's about putting God first, you second, like the shirt. I even got a shirt for the, for the, for the sermon. Pa- Pam, is, Pam, you know what it says, don't you, this time? Okay. Pam always reads my shirts while I preach, so I'm just giving her a shout out. So I want to tell you a story, because stories are good. And once upon a time, a long, long time ago, a rider on on a horse came across a few soldiers who were trying to move a heavy log of wood without success. The corporal was standing by just watching as the men struggled. The rider could not believe it. He finally asked the corporal why he wasn't helping. And this is what the corporal said. I am the corporal. I give orders. The rider said nothing in response. Instead, he dismounted his horse. He went up and stood by the soldiers. And as they tried to lift the wood, he helped them. With his help, the task was finally able to be carried out. And you ask, who was this kind rider on a horse? None other than George Washington, the commander-in-chief. His corporal wouldn't help. George Washington gets off the horse and helps. See, this story is an example of humility that invites our admiration of George Washington. And conversely, we tend to disdain the corporal for being so arrogant. A story like this doesn't need any explanation because we all understand what's going on here. We know because there are times in our lives that we're, not George Washington, we're the corporal standing by, watching why others are serving, 
watching while others are helping. You see, we want to be humble. I don't think there's anybody in here would say, I don't really want to be humble. We want to be humble. We want to be helpful. We want to think of others more than we think of ourselves. We want that. So why is it so hard to achieve that goal? Because that is really, I think, deep down in all of our hearts, especially people that have accepted Christ as their Savior, we want to think of others. We want to serve others. You see, and today we're going to get an opportunity to learn from the most humble, human, God character, Christ, that ever walked these earth, this earth. He is our example. Christ is our example. And I will never, never say that, that if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, the grace that you're saved. I'm not going to ever argue that. I'm not ever going to dispute that. But what I am going to say is if, if that's all you want from life, To just be saved? See, when we accept Christ, we're saying, my sin is not the Lord over my life anymore. But Christ is. And Christ shows us how to act. Christ shows us how to act. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who humbled himself to put on human flesh. Do you, you, you got to realize, he, he was in, in heaven, him, God, and, and the Holy Spirit, you know, they were just hanging out. They didn't, for one, before they created us, they didn't need to create us for entertainment or for, for love or to show love. They had each other. A perfect union. But God chose to create us. And we chose to rebel against him. And anybody who ever tells me, well, if I was in the garden, I wouldn't have took a bite of the apple. You need to take a real good look at your life over how many years you've lived because you've took more than one bite of an apple. More than one bite. He is, he is the only way to experience an abundant life. He is our only option. Jesus. So if you really want to get a full life abundantly, it's the only way to get it is to, to, to follow what Christ has already told us to do. Not because we have to follow rules, because he made us. So he knows what's best for us. Why do we have such a hard time doing what he asks us to do? See, Jesus sets the example. As admirable as the example of George Washington in the story was, the reality is that we have an even greater example in Jesus Christ. He is our example. He shows us how to be humble in ourselves and to serve 
others. That's what he does. See, listen to Paul's words in Philippians 2. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We're all guilty of this. We all are guilty of doing stuff that will benefit ourselves. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of each other. Can you imagine what that would look like? Can you imagine what that would look like? I don't think we can. If I worried about you and you worried about me, what a world that would be. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he is talking to believers in Christ at this time. So if you profess to be a Christian, this is what he's telling us we're supposed to act like. Our attitudes are supposed to be his attitude. Our actions are supposed to mirror Jesus' actions. On the one hand, you could say this. That's easy for me to say. That's easy for us to say that we're supposed to act like that. But I don't think God would ask us to do anything that, that he can't, not I, you, he can't, Help you do. He can't do through you. Yeah, we're not going to be able to do this if we just go, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to muscle through this and I'm going to get this done. That's not going to help. And on the other hand, Paul goes on to list some of these actions and we should model them. Philippians 2.5.8 says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature God, he was God, is what that says, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I'm sure none of you have used your stature for your advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. I I don't think we get that. That God was up in heaven, Jesus was up in heaven, and he had to be born a baby. He had to put on flesh. His suit was But not only that, all-powerful, all-powerful God now is in a womb and needs somebody to sustain his life. And then when he's born, he needs somebody to take care of him, to feed him, to change his his wet diaper, to clean him, to, 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 to educate him. That's humility. He was God and is God and put on flesh for you and me. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He chose to come knowing what was going to happen to him. He chose to die for you. Make it personal. He died for you. When you look at a cross, think that God was on that cross for me. Make it personal. I think if we make it personal, it's going to impact the way we see the world. And unless we change, we're not going to impact the world. So here are three things we can do that Paul identifies in Jesus. And I believe we can all get on board with these three things. I think we're all capable of doing these three things. We don't take advantage of our position. We don't, or said another way, we don't lord over other people. Because we feel like we're up here and they're down here. So we can boss them around or we can do that. Or say, I'm not going to do that job. That is beneath me. That is beneath me. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be this. I'm not going to. So we're not to take advantages. Most of us though. Most of us here don't realize that we're leaders, but we are. At some point in your life, you are going to be a leader or you're a leader right now. How many people are following? That's to be decided. But there is people following. There is people watching. They're watching our every move. This is the problem. If we don't start acting differently to the rest of the world, nobody is going to be saved. See, we're supposed to be the witness. That's why we're still here. We will have opportunities to take advantage of others. Everybody in here will have, and, 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 and not only everybody in here will have opportunities, we have taken advantage of other people over our lives. There's nobody in this room that can say, I've never taken advantage of another person my whole life. We all have. We're all guilty. But Paul is reminding us here that Jesus had all the power and all the opportunity in the universe to use his position to his advantage. And instead, what did he do? He chose to lay it all aside. He decided to say, I don't need any of this. Because my job is to serve. So what I'm going to do is do that to the best of my ability. Which is because he's, God is amazingly awesome. We suck at it, by the way. But we can work at it. We can work at it. We can work at being good leaders. Leading by example. Because that's how, guess what? Guess, Jesus did that. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to become more like Jesus and less like us. We're supposed to become more like Jesus. That is the idea. 
That is why we're not whipped up and tucked to heaven as soon as we accept Christ as our Savior. We can be more like Christ. And then people go, wow, I want what they have. When was the last time somebody came to you and said, I want what you have? Wow, you you live so different to me. When you go through pain, when you suffer, when life gets hard, you still walk tall. You still act differently than the rest of the world. What is it that you've got? Because I'm suffering now and I want it. You're struggling. You've got something that I need because I'm struggling. And and I want to have what you have. And that gives you an opportunity. It gives you an open door. You know why all these seats aren't filled? Because we suck at it. I want heaven to be as full as it can be. And the only way that's going to happen is for all of us to start living like Jesus. Like saying, yes, I believe what the Bible says. I'm going to start acting differently. I'm going to start showing people who hate me the love. I'm going to, I'm going to walk tall. I'm going to trust that God has everything that I need. And I don't need to rely on man for anything. Because he does. He does. He can supply every need that we need as a church. John 13, 3, 4 says, and we just read the text, this is the ESV version. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So at this time, Jesus had everything. That's what it's saying. The text is saying Jesus was given everything. From God, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Do you know what the rest of the disciples were doing? What we do. Arguing about who is going to help. Or talking about, hey, there's a problem over there. Should I get involved? Oh, I don't know. The problem's over there, but we don't do anything. We sit idly by why the world falls apart. Do you know why there's such things as local churches? Because local churches are supposed to impact local communities. That is why we exist. We need to remember that. We are here to serve others. When Christ laid aside his royal position, he chose instead of to become a servant throughout his earthly ministry. And Jesus gave himself to the needs of others. If you've read your New Testament, if you've read the Gospels, just let's take the Gospels for instance. I hope we've all read at least one of them, right? When you watch Jesus do the miracles, when you read them, when you read them, Jesus doesn't, he sees someone with a, with a need and 
he doesn't go, hey, I'm Jesus. I, 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 don't worry about it. You're saved and walks away. Only actually when, he, when, when, when they drop the, the crippled man through the roof does he say your sins are forgiven first. A lot of times Jesus does just this. Oh, you're blind? Let me make some, let's spit on some mud and rub it on your eyes. And do you really think actually Jesus needed to spit on the mud and rub it on his eyes? No. He could have just touched him and said heal. He could have just spoken. By the way, he, he doesn't have to be there for the miracle to happen. Okay. But Jesus, what does he do? He always meets a need. He always meets a need. Before he tells them about himself. Or tells them to be quiet for a little bit because it wasn't his time. But he always says, he always, meets, he always meets them and meets the need first. So we have a tendency, because we're ignorant, that we walk up to people and we want to beat them over the head with the King James Version of the Bible and beat them into submission to accept Christ as their Savior. Instead, we should be looking at people and going, and there's a lot of needs in the world today, if you haven't noticed. Instead, we should try to meet people's needs first. Then we, the door gets opened. Maybe not even the first time, but the second time or the third time. The door gets opened, and then we can share our God with them. Why are you so generous? Why would you do that for me? Why would you go out of my way, out of your way, to do that for me? Why? And you could say, wow, I want to tell you about this person that impacted my life. And that for me. And his name is Jesus. And he wants to do that for you. Now you've got an opportunity to share what you believe. And, and at that point, their ears are pricked and they're listening and they're going, Wow, I want what you have. How can I get it? I want my life changed like your life is changed. It goes on to say, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with and to wipe them with a paper towel that was wrapped around him. Do you realize at this point, by the way, that that, that Jesus washed all all of his disciples' feet. You do know that, don't you? you we, we hear about Peter, so Peter sticks in the head because he's saying, don't wash my feet, don't wash my feet. Wash my whole body because I need cleansed all over. He washed Judas' feet, knowing, knowing that Judas was going to betray him. When was the last time you served somebody that hates you? When was the last time that you served somebody that 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 doesn't want anything to do with you? Jesus did it all the time. 
Because that's real service. It's easy, easy to do stuff for people you like. That's easy. It's easy to give stuff to people you like. It's hard to serve the people that hate you. But, but if we're supposed to be like Jesus, we're supposed to love people. They're all created, all created in God's image. We are to give our lives away. We're to give our lives away. You see, Jesus' humility led him to the ultimate sacrifice at the cross. See, we are all familiar with the story, but what about your story? Where are you holding on to too tightly to the things you want? To your kingdom, to your things, to your dreams and your aspirations. What do you need to let go of? What do you need to let go of? Because everybody here is holding on to something way too tight. Way too tightly. See, do you know what I love about Jesus? Everything. That's beside the point. What, I, what Jesus did is people go, well, God was mean and angry and, and bad in the Old Testament. He was like, yeah, stump them out. Yeah, kill them, murder them, whatever. That's, I'm just saying what people think about the Old Testament. Okay. In the New Testament comes along Jesus and he's all love and this and that. He doesn't have the same expectations on human beings. No, do you know what? He has higher expectations of his followers. Higher expectations. He doesn't lower the standards. He hires. The law is the law, okay, in the Old Testament. When they question him about the law, he hires the standard. When he talks about tithing, and he's talking about the, the religious guy that get tithes 10%, but then the, the woman comes in and gives all that she has, her two coins that, that, by the way, didn't amount to anything. When she gave up the two coins, who did he say was more righteous? The lady that gave everything. Do you know why? Because Jesus ups the ante. 10% is nothing. Because you know what we do? We give our time. We give our money. We give whatever. But you know what we do? We go, well, I've got $200. So I think I can do 180 So I'll keep 180 I'll get, I, can, I don't even need the 20 So I'm going to give God 20 Because this is what I say. If you make, and this is just so it's easy math. If you make $100 a week, and you give away $10, 10%. That's a lot of money, especially now. That's probably one meal at McDonald's, right? Do you understand? Okay, so that's a lot of money for somebody to give 10% of $100, isn't it? But if I make $2,000 a week, I don't think anybody in here, I don't know, but that seems a bit high for this church. But anyway, if you make $2,000 a week, okay, and you give away 200 do you think you're really sacrificing anything? Do you think your sacrifice is as great as the person who gave 10 out of 100? Absolutely not. 
And Jesus ups the ante. Because this is what he says. In the Old Testament, it says, you shall not commit adultery. So that means I've got to sleep with somebody to sin. Okay? In the New Testament, Jesus says, if you lust with your eyes, you've already committed adultery. So Jesus doesn't make it easier. He makes it harder. Everything Jesus says doesn't make it easier. It makes it harder. If you really want to follow him, if you really want to embrace the life that he has for you, think about that. He ups the ante. He doesn't lower the standards. He makes the standards higher. We need to let go of something. Where or who can you give your life to this coming week? Who can you give your life to this week? Humility isn't as much a destination to be reached as an attitude to be embraced. We need to embrace the attitude of humility. That is putting me or you, you've got to be second. God's got to be first. And when you put God first, you want to do what he wants you to do. You want to do what he wants you to do. You want to, his love that he's poured on you, you want to shower everybody that you come in contact with. If we got that as a church, we would have to have multiple more services or build a bigger building. I'm telling you. If we got that fact, we wouldn't have enough seats in this sanctuary to fill this church. We would fill this church, we'd have to build a bigger building or have multiple, multiple services. We have to understand that aspect. We have to. See, it's an important, important attitude, posture, and way of living for God. If you want to live for God, you have got to put Him first. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And there is nobody in here that has not been called. I think everybody in here has accepted Christ as their Savior. So that means you've been called. You have been called. Called probably not to stand here and preach, but you've been called to live a life that glorifies him. With all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Humility is kind of a big deal. And it's odd to say that about humility, isn't it? Can you even imagine humility boasting about itself or pointing to its jersey, the humility jersey, and you know how they score the touchdown? Yeah, I'm number one. And they're pointing to the number on the jersey. And then at the end of the game, they point to God like they've not just glorified themselves the whole game. But at the end, they go, ha, all glory to God. I mean, that that is it. Just true, isn't it? Is it the whole time they've been pointing at themselves and how great they are? 
And at the end of the game, they point to the sky when they win. You see, wouldn't it seem silly, though, also if they dance like Muhammad Ali, hey, I'm the greatest, humility, I'm the greatest. You know, wouldn't that be funny? It would be stupid for humility to do that because it's humility. But, of course, all of that is just silliness. And all jokes aside, humility is a big deal, though. It's a big deal. And I'm going to tell you why it's a big deal. As evidence in the life of Christ and in the number of different times and places, the Bible encourages humility and gives warning to the destruction, the destructive nature of pride. Because being humble, the opposite of humble, is being prideful. And the last time I checked, that's why the devil is the devil. Because he was full of pride. Well, I'm, I'm not going to go through an exhaustive list of Scripture today. And, and Kevin over there is going, good. We might be able to go out of lunch today before 1 o'clock. <laughs> I do have time to hit some highlights, though, Kevin. To encourage you to set aside your own time for further study. Because I want to encourage you to study this topic. So, okay, here we go. We've already heard from Paul, so we're going to hear from, from, from Peter. And Peter says this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. He may lift you up. See, James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, quotes the same Old Testament passage as Peter does when he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, both of these New Testament church leaders are encouraging humility and both men quote the passage from Proverbs 3.34 when they describe God opposing the proud And giving grace to the humble. Obviously, none of us want God opposing us, do we? We don't want God opposing us. But that's what the Bible says. Which is a strong enough argument in itself to promote humility and selflessness. So let's take it a step further. We're going to up the ante a little bit today. Let's look at Psalms 138.6 which says this. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. But to put that in better words so you know what I'm talking about, we're going to look at the NLT version because that was the NIV version. It says, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. God's opposition is one thing, and it's horrible. But the idea of Psalms 138, that God distanced himself from the prideful, should terrify us. Because how many times do we feel prideful? How many times do we fill ourselves with our own pride? And we pat ourselves on the back. God is always going to be here. But I might not know it. Because he might distance himself from me because 
I fill myself with pride and make it all about me. See, pride and arrogance are incompatible with humility, which means these are attitudes you will only find far away from Jesus. See, these are heart issues and postures that will keep you at a distance from the righteousness. Pride will destroy you. It will destroy you. And it's a big enough deal that the Bible addresses it again and again and again. And not the least of which is an example. And the exhortation of Jesus himself, which is where we'll finish up. I want to read John 1 again. John 13, 1 through 17. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, And who's going back to God, rose from the supper table. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured out water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterwards, you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you you have no share with me. And Simon Peter, being Simon Peter, said this, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And And you are clean but every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, so he did not wash his feet. That's what it should say. If it was me, if I was Jesus, that's what it would say. I knew he was going to betray me, so I didn't wash his feet. But it doesn't say that. He washed his feet. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for for so I am. See, at the end of verse 13.1, John records Jesus showing them the full extent of his love. The full extent. He's showing us in this story the full extent of his love. Because he did wash all of the disciples' feet. He loved Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot obviously didn't love him. And later, the next verses read like this. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that also you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, and when that, whenever you read truly, truly in, in the Bible, it's like putting an explanation on what Jesus is about to say. It's like we use explanation marks now. They didn't back when Jesus was around. 
So this is truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, got down on his knees, filled up a basin, and washed his disciples' feet. The washing of feet, by the way, was an incredibly lowly act. That's why none of the disciples were doing it, because it was the lowest of low jobs. Because at that time, feet were considered the dirtiest, most unclean part of the body. So there is much to be taken from this example. Jesus set here, but here's where I think it gets really thought-evoking. Jesus wanted his, the disciples to know how much he loved them. So he took the position of a simple house servant and washed their dirty feet. This is God washing feet. He did, he did this to show that no one is too unimportant. Important, too important to get down and serve another. He did this to show his love and care for his disciples. See, his example in John 13 is, is recorded for the church today. All scripture is, is breathed out by God and useful. And this was written down so we knew how to serve. So that we can see and know the heart and character of our Savior and how to serve. So this begs me the question today. Who do you need to serve this week? Where might you need to confess your pride? Because we all have some pride inside of us and we need to get rid of it. We need to confess it. Because the Bible tells us we are to repent of our sin and pride is the number one sin. Proverbs 29.1 says, Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. And I think some people's pride destroys their lives. We need to pray for them and we need to pray for ourselves because do you want to be destroyed by your pride that, that grows inside of you? Do you want God to oppose you? Because he opposes the proud. Do you want to feel far from God? Do you want to feel incompatible with the righteousness of Jesus? I don't think we need to. Our sins have been paid for, so the grace covers us. So I'm not telling you this to, so you can be saved. I'm telling you this so you can have a full life. The life that Jesus promised us. The life that God has given us. But unless we embrace it, we're not going to have it. We will live life and we will struggle either way. But I would rather struggle with God than without. C.S. Lewis says this, and I think this is, this is, this is just to hit the whole thing. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I mean, that's pretty simple, isn't it? That's pretty simple. Think of yourself less. 
Because here's not what he's saying. Don't think of yourself at all. Because then you won't be able to take care of yourself. Because we need to take care of ourselves. Do you know why? So we can serve others. Because if I don't take care of myself, I'm not going to be very much help to anybody else, am I? So we do need to take care of ourselves. I'm not saying that. But we need to think of others too. And we need to put others first. So we need to take care of this because this is God's house. So we can take care of other people. But we in this world think of ourselves first and everybody else second. And we need to reverse the roles because that's what being a Christian means. So how about this? I'm giving you a challenge this week. As well as some scripture to read, I'm going to give you a challenge. Actually, this challenge lasts all the way to Easter. Okay? I'm going to put a bin out there. I'm going to buy a spranking new metal garbage can in the foyer. Okay? And if it fills, I'll buy another one. Okay? I want everybody in here to bring some non-perishable goods. And we're going to fill them up. We're going to fill the bin up. And when we fill the first bin up, hopefully, I'll bring in that second one. Hopefully, because we filled up the first one. And we're going to fill them up. And we're going to fill them up all the way up to Easter Sunday. Okay? Because like I said earlier, this church exists for the local community. And I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But I know when I go to the grocery store, my bill is a lot higher than it used to be. It's a lot higher than it used to be. There's a lot of people out there that still make the same amount of money and are trying to buy groceries. And now they've got to go to food pantries and food pantries are going to get lower and lower and lower. And this is what I'm going to tell you. If this doesn't happen and them garbage cans don't get full, we may as well lock them doors and may as well close this church down, in my opinion. Because if we aren't helping the community we live in, There's no point for us to be here. There is really no point. Because Jesus left us here to serve the community. We need to start serving. And also this week, I want you to read Matthew 11, 25 through 30. So you can get ready for a a, a sermon next week on contemplation. So please plan to join us next week. Let us pray. Dear God, help us to identify with Jesus. Help us to get our identity only from Jesus. By the, and, and help us to identify with Jesus the way he treat, treated people. So that we can learn to treat people the same way he did. We can serve people like he served people. Whenever we are tempted to think more of ourselves than we ought to, remind us of our position before you. Help us to see others as worthy of love and service, just as we were worthy of your love and service when you died for us and accepted us into your kingdom. Remind us that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, God. 
And thank you for the opportunity that we have today to serve you by serving others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.